But yeah, no, the Canadian government's really good at supporting giant evil corporations that are gouging money out of people. That's what, uh, that's what I said on the, uh, the Kate Beaton episode. Like Canada has always been five or six giant corporations in a trench coat pretending to be a country. Yeah. yeah. Not to get not. political on Maine. <laughs> no, I, but like, Jesus. Not starting my rebate. Uh, the like, the like Shaw-Rogers merger, I think, is just, you're like, okay, so you guys don't care. Like, it's very clear now, like, this is, this doesn't matter. You guys don't care about anything. It's just about helping corporations make money. It's as if you sold your soul and oh. <laughs> corporation. <laughs> Topical. Yeah. This, I think, ties into our book today. <laughs> And what is our book today? Uh, our book today is Dragman by Stephen Appleby. So before we started recording, uh, Jam asked how I came across this book. And I spontaneously walked into the VPL and I looked at the adult comic sh- uh, shelf that's on the first floor. And this book just stood out to me. And I was like, looked at the back. I saw it was a, a creator from who's based in uh in England and I was like well this could either be a really terrible book or this could be a really good book (laughs) I read it and I was like hey this book was great and I decided it should be a trade waiters book so should I do I guess I'll start with a character building question and then I can talk a little bit about the author my character building question is what is the source of your superpowers I feel like if I, I feel like I'm just going to channel the last book we read and say, having the right pencil. Ooh. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess this all depends on like, what is my superpower? Oh, don't forget to introduce yourself. Oh, okay. I'm JD and my superpower is I can draw anything in perspective. Ooh. As long as I have uh, a pencil that has the exact right ink from it, from a special magical tree. (laughs) <laughs> or a mechanical pencil made by the Sakura company. Okay. Well, I'm Jam, and I'm told that my superpower is being able to, like, synthesize a lot of information. So I guess the source is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> if there's, like, a really chaotic field of information, that's that's what fuels my superpower, being able to be like, I... I got to get to the bottom of this. I got to figure out what the hell is going on. Like this, this week it's, it's UFOs. I'm trying to figure out UFOs and boy, there's a lot of chaotic information out there about that. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite posts on uh, Mastodon right now. My, my aliens posts. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Jeff Ellis and uh, I think the source of my superpowers are my friends um (laughs) no yeah i i know i i think uh you know with the work i do with cloudscape it's been a good reminder that like i thrive in an environment where there's lots of other people connected with each other and helping connect people so in a world of introverts the extrovert is king yes the daywalker (laughs) (laughs) okay well Maybe just before we just dive into the book, I looked up a little bit about Stephen Appleby. Stephen Appleby is an absurdist cartoonist, illustrator, and artist living in Britain. She is a dual citizen of the UK and Canada. Her humor has been described as observational or absurd with a keen sense of turmoil of fear and obsession that teems beneath the respectable exterior of most of us. So She's done a whole variety of work, and Dragman is one of her most recent full-length graphic novels, and it was the winner of the special jury prize at Angoulême 
2021, which I think is very well deserved. And yeah, Dragman uh, is very much, I think, a personal memoir of her journey from originally kind of feeling like she was a transvestite to moving into like taking on like a different gender and coming out as trans and changing her pronouns to she, her, but keeping the name Stephen. And yeah, I thought the back of the very back chapter of this book uh, added a lot of good context. And yeah, I don't know. I picked this book up on a whim and I got really sucked into it. I really enjoyed it before I sort of summarize, or I don't know, maybe should I summarize the story and then get responses? Or do you guys want to do some responses? Uh, Well, first I have a a question about pronouns uh, because I read this whole book and then got to the about the author and it uses he him pronouns there so i had to google because like well, i don't know if that's right uh and i didn't google very far so this is why i'm framing this as a question wikipedia uses she her but then has a really short line at the end that's a quote saying that stephen like isn't caught up on pronouns or something to that effect so I'm not sure what, basically oh. what I'm asking is where, what is your source? I want to know if there's like a third source that oh. I can say, oh, this is like this two out of three. We're going to go with the. Oh, um, I, I, I thought my read at the end was that. Yeah. So maybe I miss misinterpreted, but like my read on the last chapter is that she was using she, her pronouns and then Wikipedia backed that up. So that was okay. Mm, but the bio at the end of the book uses he, him pronouns. Mm. So, I uh, you know, maybe we just don't have a conclusive answer, which is fine. That's, that's fair enough. I feel like there's, there's some ambiguity created by Stephen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I feel like my, if she wanted apologies. to clear up the ambiguity, that would be a thing that would be possible. And we're, we just have to live with the ambiguity. Yeah. We mean no offense. Uh, generally, the rule of thumb is you, or in, in, in life in general, is you use the pronouns that the person themselves discloses and that they mm-hmm. want. And so uh, this ambiguity is leading us to what is happening now. <laughs> I Yeah, I was going to check her website, but uh, I need Flash, apparently. So... <laughs> Okay, so this, no. is, this kind of indicates to the time period. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that I don't know where I got it in my head, but at some point I had just been like, "She, her pronouns." Um, sure. So yeah, my apologies is, if I am misgendering. <laughs> she has largely transitioned in every every other way. So, and I think it's uh, we see this a lot with this generation where they this generation a particular being like an older generation. Yeah, an older generation like maybe Gen X and older is that they grew up in a time where there was like much more ambiguity and it's taken us a lot of time culturally to come up with these kind of rules and structures and a lot of the gen xers have had this very understandable reaction i think we we talked about this with grant morris as well where it's like you know what i went through all this effort to not be put in a box so don't put me back in a box you know (laughs) which is a very fair very fair way to be Stephen Stephen was born in 1956. Uh, so that's like a, a baby boomer then. Oh, yeah, even older than I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I re- when I was reading at the end, and uh, she was talking about like, I guess it was like growing up in this, the 70s. I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. This is, I did not get the impression that this was written by someone from Generation Y. Yeah, yeah, okay. That makes sense. I didn't put it together as much. Yeah, I mean, I definitely is interesting because I think reading this, I definitely felt like there were some, I don't know, like tropes. Sometimes like having a serial killer that targets uh, trans women felt very tropey. And so like in the first the first chapter, the first prose chapter, I was like, oh, maybe this isn't a book I want to recommend for the trade waiters. But then as it progressed, it like, it, I, I warmed up to it and like I again I sort of feel like this is Stephen is telling her story that makes sense to her in her way and so like it it includes some tropes but like it also feels like it's coming from a very genuine like lived experience so I kind of I 
I'm a little like, okay, it's a little tropey at times, but whatever, this is fine. I enjoy this book. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Like the whole, uh, the aspect, including the murder of trans women, like kind of brought me down and I'm like, oh man, I don't know about this, but it did kind of resolve mm. in a way, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think if that's a story you're going to write, I don't know a better way to do it than this, where the protagonist is deeply invested in how like in resolving this uh we care about the women who were murdered like one of them ends up being a main character we don't actually have to see the murders which is quite a trick considering it's a graphic novel which i think like that's a really clever way to do it to sort of hide that in the prose and like the i think the way that the villain is portrayed seems both authentic and on theme yeah 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 so i think it works but yeah so Dragman is takes place in an unspecified place and time it's london. Uh, yeah i mean yeah it's an unspecified london. london yeah <laughs> they, they, or they, i don't know they, it's at the beginning they're very just like uh what is it the first page is like Friday, the year, dot, 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 the place, dot, 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 like, but yeah, it, it, it's, it seems like it's London, but like they, it, there's no, they keep it vague, right? Uh, uh, later on in the text, they're like, London's coming into view. Okay, <laughs> yeah, they do say it's London, but like, there's yeah. very little that's recognizable about London. Yeah. So at no point, I think we see the gherkin, which is a famous skyscraper that looks like a pickle. Yeah. Uh, but that was the only thing I recognized. So it, it's not our London. Right. Yeah. And and this this is a London that is full of superheroes, which I loved all the superheroes and their powers. And I made a list of all the superheroes and their names um, <laughs> and just to keep track of things. Uh, but the story focuses on August Crimp, who also goes by the name Dolly Marie and is also drag man. And August powers are that when he puts on women's clothes he can fly and it joins this club of superheroes, but eventually gets kicked out. And three years later, Dragman hasn't been seen for three years. And his first rescue, a teenage girl named Cherry Mingle, who is now his babysitter, she needs his help because her parents have sold their souls. And this is a world where the soul was discovered and you can sell your soul and there's like buying and trading of souls. And uh, this brings back, you know, Dog Girl, which is Dragman's old sidekick. And they sort of initially are looking for one of their hindsight, one of their other superhero friends is missing. So they, they're looking for hindsight. Cherry's trying to find her parents' souls. And they're sort of, as they're pursuing their investigations, everything starts to sort of connect and you meet this whole wild cast of characters and there's flashbacks to Dragman's original career. And August is also dealing with coming out to his wife about not only being some, a man who wears women's clothes, but being a superhero. And yeah, it's sort of everything kind of ends up tying together really well. I was actually impressed at how all the threads at the beginning kind of tied together at the ending, uh, which I thought was kind of an achievement. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, the, the superheroes were really fun and quirky. And 100%, if we were to discover the soul is real, this is exactly how Silicon Valley would handle it. This is the world we would be living in if, if, if this technology existed. <laughs> it was very dystopian. <laughs> so I kind of like the kind of whimsical dystopia vibe that this book had. Yeah. Um, so I, I went into a cold. So for my impressions, I went into a cold. And so I was like picking it up, reading it. I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? Uh, and it was like a maybe a chapter in that I realized, you know what, this looks a lot like Captain Star. And then I looked it up and Stephen Appleby created Captain Star, which was a uh, Teletoon cartoon in the 90s that I really enjoyed. And it was oh. really weird. 
and it didn't make a lot of sense and I really liked it and so it was really it, it filled me with a lot of fondness I'm like oh I really love Captain Star and there is a nod to Captain Star in this book oh I'm just googling this now I've I never watched this show but I, I I'm sure I saw like clips or trailers or something yeah it's it's neat it has the same kind of bizarre quietness <laughs> that I feel like this book has like where the jokes are just kind of left very muted and with like a lot of air for you to like read them and go like what like wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and there's just like a lot of quirky characters in it as well uh and so it tracks and it was just like oh I'm so happy that this artist is still up to things and this is what they're up to now but yeah if you go into if there's any other Captain Star fans you know there's like six of us in uh hindsight's cabin he has a poster up and you can see half of it and it says uh at the start at the start it's like the comic name for the series which is like rockets something but at the bottom it says captain star and it's like oh. yay so that's my contribution i was happy to read <laughs> captain star <laughs> yeah it's a it's a really interesting book uh like i took me a while to get into it one because I didn't know anything about the creator and so I was like I don't know where this is going like what is what is Jeff, Jeff caught us reading here to like this isn't really like like the drawing style is not what I'm usually drawn to like it's not bad it's it's fine it's good it's just it's not eh, it's not my thing but yeah no it, the, the way I think what convinced me in the end that this is a good book is how all the different threads all end up being tied together in a, like a really satisfying way so that made it worthwhile for me i think yeah i i actually in in hindsight i wish i had maybe given you guys a little bit more context other than just being like you should read drag man because like you were probably experiencing a little bit of what i was experiencing at the beginning because i was like oh a story about a man who wears women's clothes by Stephen Appleby. I don't know. Is this, are you in your lane, dude? Is this good? <laughs> and then like you do some research, you read the last chapter and you're like, oh, oh, no, this is fine. This is fine. Yeah. Like, but yeah. yeah I, I felt it was very genuine. Oh yeah. yeah. It definitely like, it created a lot of empathy for the character, which is like, you know, going through a lot of the internal conflicts that, one would expect and like wrestling a lot. I felt like the characters were really real and really human in their interactions of wrestling with these issues. And especially I felt that August's marriage to Mary Mary was portrayed in like a really realistic way where, you know, he got kicked out of the League of Superheroes and he's like, you know what? This whole trans thing is causing me more trouble than it feels like it's worth it right now. I'm just gonna put this in a box which I think is a pretty common experience. And then he meets someone, he falls in love. He's like, you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this the way everyone says I'm quote unquote supposed to. And he does end up having a child, but then it gets complicated because this isn't the type of thing that you can just leave in a box. Uh, and the way that that starts unspooling for him felt very realistic. Uh, and I really liked seeing more of his thought process. I really liked, one of my favorite scenes was the dream that he had when he was kind of relegated to the couch and it felt like his marriage was his marriage was falling apart his marriage was falling apart and he kind of talked us through the way that august didn't have a father figure in his life and he's like you know what no matter how this shakes out i refuse to leave gully my child without a father like that's just a non-starter so this is what has to happen yeah, yeah. Really, i really liked the way that the what we know about the relationship between august and mary uh like the the way the information was laid out to us like step by step because there were points in the story where i thought wow this mary like she's terrible like why why is she like this like this is not okay but then other points where it's like she's kind of understandable and, and i feel like that sort of matches the experience of the character going through this of like having to figure this out and like moving back and forth emotionally and um yeah like at the end like it all hangs together it all makes sense like i i understand the story from all the characters points of view but and, and the fact that there were points in the story where there's there was a sort of like angst over what's going to happen 
is obviously the intent of the author. So like, fair enough. I, I actually really appreciated with August's wife, the way that, you know, in the initial uh, reveal, she finds some of his women's clothes that he was wearing and doesn't find the drag man costume. And it's sort of, you know, she has trauma related to superheroes. So like the revelation that he's a superhero is one sort of secret, but then just the revelation that he's wearing women's clothes is another secret. And her initial reaction to finding the clothes is just like, well, you've been lying to me. Like, it's not, I don't, I'm not like necessarily mad that you wear women's clothes. I'm mad that this is the secret that you haven't been sharing with me, you know? And I, I just appreciated that too. This idea that it's like, it's not the, what you're doing that I'm upset about. It's the fact that there's this whole aspect of who you are that you're like keeping concealed from me. And we're in a marriage, right? Like, I think that's, I don't know. That See, I don't know. I, I, I took that a different way. I feel like I understand her point of view at that point, but also like maybe think about there might be reasons why August isn't telling you these things. Hmm. And you live in a society that doesn't like this and you don't know how she's going to react. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. I'm, like, this is what I'm saying is I can see both points of view. I can see the point of view of like, you should really be more supportive and understanding of that there are reasons why he's keeping the secret, but also I can understand why you're not happy that he's keeping this a secret. But yeah, the um, it's complicated, and that's what makes it believable. Yeah, no, no. There's, uh, I think the kind of yeah, the emotional journey of August in this series is, or this story was like really good. Like, kind of coming to terms with, you know, being embracing, you know, being drag man, and also just like I think there's some real power in the end of the the book when. You know, I, I, yeah, I guess obviously our readers have read this book, so it doesn't matter if I spoil anything, but you know, like that the believer turns out to be the villain. And so August is confronting the believer and the believer has him remove all of his clothing because the, the women's clothing is where the power comes from. But then August is able to fly and still be super powered without the clothing. That, yeah, that, the power like, within. Everything. The power within. Yeah, you know? The power just, within. I really liked that scene. I really liked yeah. that resolution of it, and yeah. especially kind of the triumph of like Dog Girl. It's like, hey, I got your costume. He's like, I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna yeah. be true to who I am. Even, and I think that there's like a lot of defensiveness that comes from like, if you can only feel authentic in these layers that like feeling that authenticity even when you have nothing at all is a really powerful statement yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. and the the fist was a really good heel as well oh, yeah <laughs> just like nothing start to finish like nothing, nothing good there would that. be like a fist reveal i'm like what's this guy's deal man like it just seems yeah he, he is just a heel at the end of the day yeah like, yeah dude. i, I, I kind of like that i was thinking about that too about how uh, after reading it i was like oh we never find out anything out about this guy and you know what i don't care <laughs> yeah. you no know, he's just a jerk i know everything i need to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like what do you make of the irony that like he's this big lumbering like he's just a jerk from the start for like <laughs> no provocation no reason but his symbol is like a giant heart and his like vessel says love on the top of yeah. it i'm like yeah, and his name is great fist. i'm like i don't i don't get this <laughs> it's, it's very like the themes in this book are my favorite part and i feel like he's he is a theme where is he's kind of like these two things at once and that only makes sense for someone who is like the world's most prolific and important superhero. Like there's, there's no way you can be the number one superhero with his own TV show unless you're kind of a jerk like this guy. Probably, yeah. Like writing that line between, oh, I help people, but if they don't pay me, I'll like push them out of an airlock. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I got to say, I, I really enjoyed just that in this world, because superheroes are running around all the time, people have to get their superhero insurance. <laughs> and then I'd, I thought that was a, a, a one-off remark, but then they revisit it. And it's like, yeah, the fist is saying, oh, I saved this guy from a, a burning airplane. Turned out 
he didn't pay his superhero insurance so i just dropped him and he fell to his death and you're just like what kind of world is this <laughs> very believable 100 percent believable <laughs> yeah oh. this is the themes the themes are like very on point like they have healthcare in britain but it, much like canada it's constantly under attack like there are lots of people who would like to disassemble it and replace it with private healthcare, and it feels like you can't be British without having to think about that on a regular basis. Like, oh, we're going to end up with a system like they have in the U.S. Yeah, where you can just push people out of airplanes. And people yeah. are uh, afraid to call ambulances and things like that. Yeah. What do you make of the the nature of the soul and the soul being a thing that you can buy and sell and put into a disc and move around and maybe have two of <laughs> uh i don't know i mean i don't i don't think there's i don't know if it's a very deep theme uh but it's it, it's well thought out in the world building if that makes sense like if that if you can buy and sell souls if you can just like steal someone's soul with a device um like this is this is how it would play out it would be like this sort of incredible dystopian situation i kind of like that that's the way it's first introduced to us of like oh yeah he sold his soul and then it's like <laughs> later we get into this kind of like history and technology of how it happened but we only we come into it seeing the aftermath yeah it's like theme first explanation later mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's it I, yeah it was i think that's part of that like dystopian uh, feel is like early on they mentioned like yeah people sell their souls to get money but then after they have the money they kind of lose interest in everything and eventually they take airplanes and jump out of them because they don't want to be alive anymore and you're just like sorry what yeah you know people sell their souls and then they just commit suicide because what's the point and you're like oh my god what is this world <laughs> it's really dark <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's there's like a bit of a like a, a, a contrast happening where like the art is very childlike and like whimsical and even like the characters like all the superheroes have these very whimsical names like you know like snowball and the actress and porterhouse and flypaper you know and but then like within the context of the story like there's really heavy topics like people are committing suicide people sell their souls like uh, people there's like lots of swearing and violence and you know it's yeah I just feel like the the art is very like feels very childlike but then the actual meat of the story is like not for kids you know which I thought was like a really interesting juxtaposition yeah and it's a juxtaposition that's sort of inherent to the superhero genre where like it, it's never exact, it's never not necessarily played out in exactly this way, but you've got this sort of this tension between cartoon characters for kids and like wanting to do more complicated, um, more nuanced themes. And a lot, a lot of the best superhero stories have to find a way to deal with that dichotomy. Like, it reminded me a lot of Watchmen. Like it doesn't look anything like Watchmen, but it has some of the same vibes where it's like, oh, yeah, superheroes, but quote unquote real. And therefore it's a dystopian nightmare. Oh, yeah. No, this I was like, man, I think this is just like a British thing where it's just like, well, no, like superheroes can't actually be fun. There has to be like, what's the worst possible outcome of this idea? <laughs> Very British interpretation. It's like, no, no, it would go horribly awry yeah <laughs> like how can we take this super being and then tell a really dark horrid story with this character like how can this superpower be used to destroy mankind let's <laughs> i mean i think that was something that was interesting was the kind of reveal near the end because you know uh professor fripp had been the fool and his he had powers so his power was that when he goes seeking something it happens and so the whole idea of the soul and and discovering the soul and discovering heaven and hell like that was all basically created by his superpowers so 
I mean, I think that's interesting too, because it's like, well, then were there not souls until he went looking for souls? Or is this like kind of a weird, like it's kind of a soul like that's created by his power, but maybe there's something like, I don't know, it, maybe there's something deeper still. Um, <laughs> and that even dogs and cats have souls, maybe lesser souls in a way, like. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. Um, I, I like we I sort of mentioned this earlier, but I was really interested in the way that there are some chapters that are not comics. Uh, that's something I've often thought about as a possible a possibility of like, is there a way you could combine prose and comics? And I don't know a lot of I mean, there's not a lot of examples of that at all, but I can't think off the top of my head of a really good example of that. Uh, but this, I thought, used that well, where we've got these chapters that are from the point of view of the, the killer. And so I think now that we know by the end of the book who the killer is, it makes sense that it's basically, this is how you experience the world if you don't have a soul. You can't see any of the nice pictures. It's just sort of like mm. a bunch of facts in text. Um, but yeah. also then it like distances you from the from that part of the story because those are the most traumatic parts of the story too. Yeah, I found it I, I agree with you that like it works with this story and it serves its function really well, like serves the themes really well. Uh, when I first encountered it, I felt it was a bit jarring where I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> it takes a different part of my brain. <laughs> to, to work this way and like switching between the two uh I've been like pretty exhausted lately so it was like okay <laughs> like just trying to like work this machinery so I don't want it I don't want to see it employed super often selfishly mm, sure I think that's just kind of my no fair enough my personal preference it's like any creator can do what they want but as a reader I'd rather books be books and comics be comics yeah. I'm Rachel. <laughs> I mean, well, John, what do you think about the other prose, though? Because they did use prose for uh, two of the dream sequences. Yeah. Experiences at the end as well. Um, I mean, I did find those disorienting. And maybe that was the point. Uh, because it's a dream and you're sort of like not supposed to really get what's going on right away. So, I mean, if that was the point, then mission accomplished. But it, it was very sort of like it felt like an interruption and like at first I wasn't sure like whose dream is this is this a dream what's going on because it's it's not even the way it's worded it doesn't tell you it's a dream until the end of the first part like that right. um so I don't know I mean it's an interesting narrative device I'm sure it could be done very poorly I didn't feel like it was done very poorly here but yeah use with caution I think no, they, I, I mean, I like the construction of this quite a bit. I mean, not only is there the prose, but then there are the flashbacks that are done in just like a two color. And mm. then there's like comic books that exist in this world. So it's like you can read a comic within a comic um, and those sort of have a unique style. So I, yeah, just the way that they're sort of there's the past there's the comics there's the dreams and there's the the inner you know inside the head of the serial killer and they all have kind of special presentations and that sort of helps i don't know sort it all out and help it make hmm. yeah like you would it would be so much harder to figure out what was going on without those tools of like changing the color changing the format changing the medium yeah, I think um, there was a lot of lot of fun in the the sort of wackiness of some of the characters and their powers. Like, I, I enjoyed the believer that like his superpower is that whatever he believes in happens, right? Um, and then his fall from grace is the fact that he stops believing in himself, and then that's it. He has no powers anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I got. Yeah. I don't. His, like, his whole arc was like really interesting. We we only get. The whole thing right at the end but that he starts out with this power which sounds like way overpowered compared to anyone else and yet then he ends up selling his soul and turns into this like 
Lex Luthor, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I think if, yeah, if there's, I don't know, one, one part that felt a little heavy handed was like near the end when they're just like, believer, how can you do this? And he's like, whoa, I don't care. I don't have a soul. I, I, it was like, was repeat. I felt like that motif got repeated a couple times and you're just like, yeah, we get it. He doesn't have a soul. So he doesn't care. I mean, when then they give him the soul, then he does care. Like, I mean, that was good. I think giving him back the soul and having him feel remorse was important. That I was like good. the way that sequence was illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. That um, was good. really interesting. Really well done. Yeah. And I also like the observation they make that, you know, Dinger, the killer, it's like, oh, he didn't sell his soul. He never had one to begin with. Like, that's kind of interesting too, you know? Uh, I like that he's such a boring person like that that feels like that that's how you you write a character who is this sort of like a serial killer who's like killing trans women as his quote-unquote hobby is he's he's like throughout the book i was thinking okay we're gonna have some kind of reveal at some point about who the killer is because of the way the the story's set up and i was trying to think okay is it going to be the believer is it going to be like uh is it going to be hindsight is it going to be someone that we care about and like something's happened to him but no it's just less like very otherwise forgettable very drab uninteresting person who has like no soul no personality yeah yeah and also similar to like fist who cares we don't need to know more about this guy like whatever <laughs> like he was, he was he was terrible and uh now now he's dead so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad that you guys i'm glad that you guys enjoyed uh this book because yeah i think like i said i mean similar experience reading it cold the first time i was like a little bit like not sure but that by the time i got to the end i really got into it and um i yeah i think i think it it, it took me on quite a, quite a fun journey ultimately i thought the way it all kind of wrapped up at the end was was quite good and uh and then reading the afterward too, just the the final sort of chapter, which is Stephen just talking about her history, you know, uh, I thought that was, I don't know, like a nice, I don't know, final kind of context for all of it. Mm. To just kind of put, I don't know, that put it all together for me. It was reading that last chapter. Um, yeah, I think that was important. I like, I said that I had like started reading this without knowing anything about the creator and I, I was pretty sure that if I just like skip to the end I get like a bio or something or I could just google um and I held off on doing that because like I, at a certain point it was pretty clear that like she's talking about herself in some respect and like it feels like the the biography is kind of like the almost kind of like the climax of the story and I don't want to spoil the ending if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I really liked the additional context that the bio provided, but I also didn't read it until the end. Like I could tell based on the authenticity of how this story was being told that it, it came from a very genuine place. Um, and I thought that the, the bio added a lot of really interesting perspective, like historical perspective as well mm. of like, you know, there wasn't Google in the 70s I couldn't just look it up and I thought it was just very interesting that like when she got the internet it was like one of the first words she typed in and it like opened up this entire world to her and how uh, a lot of criticism that's been happening is like why is this happening now why are so many more people declaring themselves this way now and it's because of this access to information where it's like these feelings are always there but we didn't have community in the same way. We didn't have language in the same way. Just like we were talking about with this pronoun discussion in the beginning, we didn't have this pronoun like uh, navigation toolbox, I guess, if you want to call it that way in the past. And so I really enjoyed the bio. Um, it was probably one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah, and I think it's really important to have like complicated stories like this one where it's not the, the usual narrative that you hear um, it's like the the sort of the typical narrative is the the Jazz Jennings narrative where like you knew from as soon as you could talk and like make sentences what gender you were and you told everybody and then that's been your life since then uh, and that is not what this book is 
because that is not the experience of the author. And I think the more stories you have that are uh, like A, authentic and B, different from each other that you can sort of like understand like, no, like being trans or genderqueer or whatever is not just one thing. It can be lots of things. And you need to kind of like triangulate that in your head if you're gonna understand it by hearing from different people and different points of view. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I like that this, it, you know, it it's sort of like coming out as trans is not easy in this story, but it also ultimately like is sort of fulfilling or like, you know, like it still has a happy ending, right? Which is, you know, I think important because I think sometimes when, it, you know, in, in early 2000s media, it's just like, we always have to have like a tragic ending even though we've included some queer content. So it's nice to have like, yes, it's not a picnic being queer, but like ultimately the character gets a happy ending, you know, which is good. Yeah, this struck a good balance, I thought. Yeah, the, the happy ending of like just Stephen's photo portrait at the end just made me really happy to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I hope I hope Stephen's doing well. And uh, I, 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 I'm glad to know that she has uh, dual citizenship so she could move to Canada. If, <laughs> if things, things get, go very bad in Britain. If, if things in Turf Island uh, don't go too well. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know... Who knows? Ten years, things go the other way too. <laughs> All depends on uh, which country they discover the buying and selling of souls. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's coming to San Francisco anytime now. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, use your soul to get Twitter blue. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Uh, that is not a good trade-off <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know I, I, I thought this book was worth reading uh, I would recommend it to someone if I basically told them the ending first or maybe like who the author was or something like that I feel like some context is maybe needed and like Jeff we trust you we, you're, you're not going to pick a book that's like um uh like written by uh i don't know turfy mcturferson but (laughs) it's still like the the more context of it yes indeed i like i say in hindsight i was like i probably should have no no i I trusted you i I knew you weren't gonna lead us too far astray i just like i don't know when you start reading the book you don't know how it's gonna go uh i also enjoyed reading this book uh, I thought it was satisfying. I felt uh, improved for having read it, uh, for having read it. Um, when I'm trying to think of like the type of person I would recommend it to, it's like also someone who's pretty well read. I think it's not a beginner book. Maybe someone who is interested in different narrative structures. I think that's something that this book does really well. Like the the mixing of prose and the way that the book is structured and the threads are really nice to experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting read that will expand your view of comics. Right on. Yeah, um, actually one, I mean, one final thought I have is just, I know this book is very fantastical, but in a lot of ways, I feel like it's acts as somewhat of a memoir. And so, I don't know, would you, if, if, if someone, if, if like a, a, a literary studies professor were to assign this as in like a memoir, a graphic novel memoir class, would this, would this fit the bill? Or do you think that this would be like too, too many fantastic elements and that would sort of need to be classified differently? I think it'd be a hard sell in a memoir. Like, I think you could make that argument, but it's a stretch. I feel like if you were a student in a memoir class, you could choose this book and make an essay, but I wouldn't assign it as part of the curriculum. Let's put it that way. That's a, that's better than the answer I was going to come up with. So yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Um, like I, I personally, I really enjoy the story that's uh, not quite a memoir. I think that's a fun story to read, but no, I 
I wouldn't technically qualify this as a memoir. All right. Well, then, uh, yeah, well, I, again, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. This was a fun, I, I've, I enjoyed discovering this, just taking a chance on something random at the library. So uh, I'm just going to encourage all our listeners to walk into your local library and just take a chance on something on the shelf. Uh, it can be rewarding. It's also really good to read a book that's British like we, we talk a lot about the sort of the different spheres of comics. So there's North American comics, there's uh, Japanese comics, there's French, like the Franco-Belgian comics world. Britain is kind of its own thing. Like it's not part of the Franco-Belgian tradition and it's never really been like fully in the North American tradition either. Uh, like the, the British comics that I've read, like definitely have like a through line where there's like a, a cultural tie there that doesn't necessarily connect anywhere else. So it's, it's interesting to sort of like spend some time in that world. Yeah, yeah, no, I know this is sort of felt, felt very unique, like its own thing. Um, and it's like a, actually quite a nice little hardcover too. So the, the print edition's great. And, and better than the Kindle edition, honestly, I was struggling with the Kindle edition reading it a second time. Yeah, uh, the Kindle edition was okay. It's not the worst Kindle edition. I've seen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a very beefy book. I, I don't like. It looks nice on a shelf. I'm not sure that I would say that this is a book you need to have in person. That's surprisingly much more handsome of a print edition than I expected. Yeah, the cover's really nice. Yeah, well, I mean, like the spine treatment and everything. Like you yeah. can see the cover on the Kindle edition, but it really holds it together much much better in the the edition you're showing up there. Oh, it's even got it's even got a little ribbon, right? Yeah, but not every book has to have a ribbon. I don't know. I didn't use the ribbon. I just like I appreciate <laughs> a cultural ribbon. Market, right? I just appreciate a good ribbon. That's all. Okay, all right. You are reading <laughs> literature. <laughs> I'm gonna read it with my pinky up. <laughs> Adopt a, a mid-Atlantic accent as I'm reading it. Yes. <laughs> a transatlantic would be more appropriate ah. <laughs> there we go <laughs> i think right. we just invented the genre <laughs> <laughs> um, all right should we do some shout outs sure um okay i'm gonna shout out a movie uh long ago we did an episode on uh the graphic novel nimona uh, it is now a movie on Netflix, and it's very, very good. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, when we did that episode, we knew that it had been optioned as a movie. That movie finally exists after much behind-the-scenes drama, apparently. And it's worth it. You should watch it. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, I'm Jam, and uh, I will be honest, I haven't really consumed much media unrelated to aliens in the last month and a half. But... In that, journey, aliens. <laughs> in that journey, I've come across a nice little YouTube channel. It's called The Y Files. Um, there's a lot of lore uh, in the UFO world, let's say, and there's a lot of instances where you're like, I don't know what the hell these people are talking about. The Y Files does a really great job, which is like, it'll take one of these like lore topics and tells it as like a nice little story. And then at the end of the nice little story, he'll tell you if it's, if it's nonsense or not. Which I really appreciate that framing where it's like 22 minutes, I have, have a good time and I understand the shape of it. And in general, it's just very entertaining. Uh, if you liked um, the Beyond Belief Factor Fiction show with Jonathan Frakes, the one where he came in and like, you know, it's like, you ever had a dog, you know, and then he just tells this weird story. It's basically that kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the, the modern incarnation of that, even though apparently Jonathan Frakes is still doing that. Um, also, uh, Captain Star, apparently all 13 full episodes are on YouTube. So if you ever wanted to check that out and watch a really bizarre cartoon, it's there. Ooh, exciting. All right. Well, I'm Jeff Ellis. And, uh, if you're interested in reading my comics, you can find them at jeff-ellis.ca. But, uh, I'm going to shout out a comic. It's, uh, Displacement by Kiku Hughes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's basically about Japanese internment camps in the United States. And it's partially 
again, partially memoir, partially fantasy. I'm a big fan of that. And uh, yeah, it's an excellent book. Um, it definitely earned its uh, youth literature silver seal that's on the cover. Um, so yeah, check it out. So after many, many years of working on a comic called Phobos and Demos, it is very soon going to be released as a book, like a physical book, which as you know, is my favorite thing. And you can go to the Cloudscape site and you can look at news about it being available for pre-order. Okay, and uh, our next book, oh, our next episode is going to be the 100th episode of Trade Waiters. So I can't believe we've been doing this for a century now. <laughs> uh, we're, for, for that event, we're going to read uh, Scott McCloud's Reinventing Comics. We're going to have a two-part uh, episode and that's the that's part one episode 100 we're gonna we're gonna reinvent the whole industry no we're just gonna we're not even gonna reinvent trade readers honestly that <laughs> <laughs> already did all the work for us he came yeah. he came down in the the 80s or whatever 90s 2000s yeah. <laughs> is what it was 20 years ago it was a, it was 2007 <laughs> and he's like here we go. Comics is reinvented. Behold. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I remember it. <laughs> All right. Um, the Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.